We are a task-oriented people, aren't we? We sure love our to-do lists, right? We, we think of so many things in this life as jobs to do, right? Your yard work, right? Your housework, the laundry, the dishes, right? All of these things that we love to put on a to-do list and we love to check them off, right? Cross them off, they're done, right? You feel good about yourself until you got to do them all again, right? We love to accomplish things. We love to do things. We love to get them done. Here at Heritage, you hear a lot about what's done for you, don't you? What God does for us. And, and do you realize how different that is than what you hear in a lot of other religions and even in some Christian churches? Because what you hear in other religions and even other, some, some other churches is this is what you should do. If, if you do these things, then things will be better for you, right? These are the things that God expects of, from you, and now go and do them. And that appeals to our human nature, doesn't it? Because we're so task-oriented, because we want to do the checklist, right? All right, God, just tell me to do these things, and I'll go and do them. You know, kind of like you go into a job interview, right? and you want to know what's expected of me in this job. What are my duties? And what can I expect then in return? Right? When, when I do these things, what, what am I going to get back? Right? Well, let's take that angle this morning. Let's look at the job description. You see the quotation marks there. The job description of a Christian. And we're going to take a look at our gospel lesson from Luke chapter 17. And we're going to see what Jesus has to say about your duty, your job, per se, as a Christian. And we will see the responsibility. We're going to see the requirement and the reward. So the responsibility, the requirement, and the reward. All right, first, the responsibility you have in your duty as a Christian. There are three things that Jesus mentions here in our gospel lesson from Luke 17. And, and maybe you're secretly hoping that it's these three. That you go to church once in a while. That you serve on one of those fellowship teams and you bring a snack every few months. Uh, and that when you come here, you're kind and friendly to other people. And maybe you're secretly hoping that's what that list is because you already maybe do those things. And that's easy, right? Maybe what you're hoping it's not is that... You should go to Bible class. Or maybe invite somebody to come to church with you. Or maybe to serve outside of Sunday morning. Right, let's, let's hope it's none of those things because that would not only be uncomfortable, but that would kind of put a strain on the rest of my life, right? It'd be a little intrusive. But I hate to tell you, <laughs> the three responsibilities that Jesus mentions here and talks about the duties of a Christian are, are a little more uncomfortable and intrusive than that. Listen to the first one here that Jesus says. He says to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. Jesus says the first responsibility 
If you want to look at your job as a, or if you look at your life as a Christian as a job, is that something you have to do? Well, then this is number one. Don't cause anyone else to sin. Jesus says there's enough things in the world to get people to stumble. You better not be one of them as a fellow Christian. And Jesus is obviously very serious about this. He says it's better for you to have a, a millstone, this huge stone that was used to, to grind um, grain, have that put around your neck and throw you in the middle of the sea and drown you. You'd be better off. And Jesus says it's these little ones, right? These, don't cause these little ones to stumble. Who are the little ones? Well, it's probably the literal little ones, right? Think of your children and grandchildren. How are you setting an example for them in speech, in conduct? Do your children and grandchildren see you being honest and truthful, not just to them, but to others as well? Do your children and grandchildren, these little ones, see you honoring and respecting authorities over you, like your boss and your government? Fathers, do your children, do your sons see you showing them what it looks like for husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church and to not be harsh with them? Do these little ones see you making God's word a priority in your life? Yeah, not just on Sunday mornings, but, but that it is everything to you. And if you're failing in any of these areas, you're putting up a stumbling block for these little ones. And Jesus says it's better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the sea because these little ones have enough things in the world to get them to stumble. They don't need you doing it too. But Jesus isn't just talking about literal little ones. He's, he's talking figuratively here as well, I'm sure. The figuratively little. Those who are, who are little in faith, those who are weak in faith, maybe those who are new to the Christian faith. And he's saying, it's your job, it's your duty as a Christian to be setting an example for other Christians. As Paul says to Timothy, to set an example for your fellow believers in speech, in conduct, in life, in faith, in purity. I mean, Paul runs the gamut there, doesn't he? He doesn't leave anything out. That it's not only what you say, it's how you say it. It's not only what you do, it's why and how you do it. What example are you setting for little ones in faith? Are you saying with your mouth that you're a Christian, but then turning around and making people who are a little weaker in faith than you or newer in the faith and saying, that's what a Christian looks like? I don't know if I want anything to do with this. It'd be better for you to have a millstone hung around your neck and thrown into the sea than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. So you want to look at Christianity as a duty, something you have to do, a job that you have to perform, something you can check off your list. There's number one. Don't cause these little ones, anyone, to fall into sin. But Jesus goes on. It's not done yet. You probably wish he was done, but he goes on. Here's another one. He says, if your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. So not only is it your duty your responsibility to not lead others into sin. It's your job 
to rebuke someone when they sin. And I know you're going to come up with every sort of excuse and say, Pastor, <laughs> I can't do that. I, I can't point out someone other sins because you know what they're going to do? They're going to say, oh, who are you to tell me? Right? Look at you. Look at all your sin. And I know you're going to use the excuse, well, Jesus tells us not to judge. And I'm going to tell you that's not true. <laughs> when Jesus says do not judge in the Sermon on the Mount, what he's saying is, be careful how you judge. Do it going in humbleness. Take the, take the plank out of your own eye before you take the speck of sawdust out of someone, someone else's eye. That means realize you're a sinner, that you need God's forgiveness, that you need to be rebuked just as often, if not more. And what Jesus is saying is you don't judge based on your opinions. You judge based on the word of God. And I know that you're going to use the excuse that says, but they won't listen anyways, pastor. You can't go rebuke somebody. And Jesus says, that's not your job. That's not your job to... to uh, it, it, it's your job to simply share the word of God. It's your job to rebuke, to warn because that's what Christian love does. It's not the pastor's job. It's not everyone else's job. It's not the church. It is the church's job. It means it's your job. Because you are the church. That's what love does. To not rebuke a fellow Christian who falls into sin is hatred for that person. You don't care about their soul. You don't care about their relationship with God. Is what you're telling them. It's our duty as Christians to rebuke our fellow Christians when they sin. So, do you have a son or daughter who's living with their boyfriend or girlfriend? It's your responsibility out of Christian love to rebuke them. Do you have a Christian coworker? who is using filthy language, who is being disrespectful, who is being dishonest or lazy at work. It's your job as a fellow Christian, out of love for them and out of love for your Savior's name, who they are bearing, to rebuke them, to warn them about their sin. Do you have a Christian family member who loves gossip, who just loves to tear other people down? It's your job. As a brother and sister or sister in faith, to go to them and rebuke them for their sin. Do you have someone in your life who has hurt you, who has lied about you, who has been unkind to you? Out of Christian love, it is your responsibility to rebuke them. Jesus is crystal clear here. It's your job to rebuke those who sin, to rebuke fellow Christians who have strayed away. But Jesus isn't done yet. Right? He goes on and he says, another duty is if they repent, the one you rebuke, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. I think this is where it gets the hardest. <laughs> to forgive. 
to forgive continually. We use that word forgive all the time, right? But do you really stop and think about what it means to forgive someone? And, and the picture that's used, the, the, the visual is to, to cancel a debt, to pardon someone, to free someone from a burden. They, they don't have it on them anymore. And I know you're going to come up with every excuse why it's hard to do and why you shouldn't do it. Well, well Pastor, if I forgive them, then it just shows that I'm weak and, and I just let people walk all over me. Or, or if, if I forgive them, then, then they're not really paying for what they did, right? I mean, they can't just get off scot-free. There's got to be some sort of consequence for what they did, right? Or maybe you'd say, you know, if I forgive, then they're just going to do it again. And that's not your problem. Jesus covers that here, doesn't he? It's not your job to read someone's heart and see, are they really sorry for their sins? Are they really going to change their lives? It's not your job to read their heart. It's your job to forgive. If they repent... You must forgive, Jesus says. It's your duty as a Christian. And Jesus says, even if they sin against you seven times in a day, every time you must forgive them. Now, that doesn't mean that if you get to number eight in a 24-hour period, then, then you don't have to forgive them anymore. The, the number of seven in the Bible is a, the number of completeness. And so what Jesus is saying is, every time someone sins against you, Every time a fellow Christian sins and they come and they repent, you must forgive them. You must release them of that burden. You must pardon them. You must offer them that forgiveness of God. Now, I don't know about you, but if this was a job interview and I was being told what the expectations of this job were, uh, to, to not lead anybody else into sin, to rebuke other people who do sin, and to offer forgiveness without end, I would have walked out the door a long time ago. Because you look at this job description, this, these duties of a Christian, and you have to say, this isn't only difficult, <laughs> this is impossible. Who can do this? All of the time. And that's why it's not surprising at the disciples' response. They hear these responsibilities and they say to Jesus, increase our faith. That makes a lot of sense to us, right? I, I mean, we, we can understand why they would say that, right? Increase our faith. Because if, if, I'm, if it's my responsibility to not lead other people into sin, if it's my responsibility to rebuke fellow Christians who do sin, if it's my responsibility to, to uh, forgive over and over and over, then you must have to have a really strong faith to do that. And so it makes sense to say, increase my faith. Let me have more faith so I can go and I can do these things the way you tell me to, Jesus. But Jesus' response to the disciples shows that their request is off. Okay? This is how he responds to their request, increase our faith. He says, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it will obey you. So what is Jesus saying here? 
He's saying it's not about the size of your faith. You can have faith as small as a mustard seed. (laughs) What it's about is the object of your faith. If your faith is in yourself, take this in the kindest possible way, you will fail. You are too weak, you are too prideful. If you think that if you just have a little bit more conviction to live a better life and set a better example for the people around you and not lead them into sin, or if you think that somehow if you just have a little bit more courage to go and approach that that, that fellow Christian who's, who's in sin to rebuke them. If you, if you think that if you just have a little more compassion within yourself to go and forgive a little bit more, you will fail. Because your faith is in yourself. And increasing faith in yourself is not going to get you anywhere. And so what Jesus is telling him, it's not about the size of your faith, it's what you place your faith in, what the object of your faith is. And so if the object of your faith is something or someone other than you, it changes everything completely. If you finally come to realize that, that, that this is not a list of things that God is saying, go and do, and then you're a Christian, but things that have already been done for you, it changes everything, doesn't it? When you realize the requirement is not a stronger faith. The requirement is not to believe in yourself and and you can go and you can do these things and accomplish these things and check them off and say, look, see, I'm a Christian. I do all these things. If you finally come to realize that the requirement is not your faith, but the object of your faith, Jesus Christ, it changes how you look at what he has to say to us here. Because the requirement is simply believe that though you stumble and though you cause others around you to stumble, there is one who never caused anyone else to stumble and who himself never stumbled into sin. And while you deserve to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea, you know what Jesus did for you? He was thrown into hell with all of your sins tied around his neck and he was drowned in suffering and death so that you wouldn't have to. The requirement is to know that you have a holy God who rebukes you because he loves you. A holy God who says, turn from your wicked ways and live. A holy God who says and cries out to to us, Confess your sins. Put on sackcloth and ashes. Confess your sins and plead for mercy. The requirement is to see the depth of your sin and all of your failures and all of your weakness and all of your pride and look to the only God who can save you. The only requirement is to know that this God that you cry out to and confess your sins to forgives you. Not just once, not just 10 times, not just 10 million times, but every time. That at that cross, your debt was paid in full. You are pardoned through Jesus. Every sin forgiven, 
by him. You see that? Do you see what a difference that makes when you look at this? That the requirement is not what you do. It's not a list of things for you to go and check off. It's a list of things that have already been done for you and that God does for you through Jesus. To see what your God has done for you through Jesus. That he never stumbled for you. That he rebukes you in your sin to lead you to repentance. That he forgives you without end. And to see how he fills you with faith to believe it. To place your eyes on that object of your faith, Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose and ascended for you. To see that love for those who fall. To see that love for those who need God's forgiveness. To see how God has loved you. To see how God has first served you. And say, Lord, let me serve others as you have served me. The requirements of this job have all been met by Jesus. The responsibilities have already been carried out for you by Jesus. And that fills our hearts with peace and with joy and it fills our hearts with love, love for one another. That we don't want to cause one another to stumble. That we don't want to see others, fellow Christians, remain in sin. That we do want to offer that full and free forgiveness to God. It changes everything for the Christian life. There's a third part, isn't there? The reward. Right? When, when you're sitting in that job interview, what, what's the question you want to ask more than anything? Right? How much am I going to get paid to do this, right? I want to know my compensation. I want to know what I'm going to get. Jesus addresses that too. Look at the, the, the parable right at the end of our lesson. It starts at verse 7. He says, Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down and eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink? After that you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. What does God owe you? <laughs> what reward should God give you? Nothing. Right? Uh, let's say that, you, that you're able to, to set an example for, for the little ones. Right? To not lead them into sin. Let's say that, that, you, that you go and you're able to, to rebuke a fellow Christian who is caught in a sin. Let's say that you're able to go and forgive somebody eight times a day for the same sin. What does God owe you? Nothing. Why? Because it's not you. But it's Christ living in you, as Paul says. Living through you. It's your faith in that object of your faith, Jesus Christ, that enables you, empowers you and to, do, to even begin to do those things. All glory be to God for everything. 
that God would work through me. What does God owe you? For doing your duty? Nothing. Nothing at all. Because it's Christ living in you. But yet, but yet God is so good. And he is so full of grace that he says in another parable in Matthew, that though you're an unworthy servant, that though you deserve nothing from God, yet one day he will welcome you into heaven and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Come and share your master's happiness. Because you realize it is not what you have done, but what Christ did for you and did through you. See what a difference that makes in how we look at our relationship with God. See what a difference that makes in how we live our lives with one another. You, when you come here to Heritage, you hear what God does for you, and, and you want it to be that way. I don't need to give you another list of things to do. Right? You need to rest in what's already been done for you. More than anything, you need to hear about how Christ, who has taken your place and done everything perfectly for you, and now fills you with his love and his life and his peace and his joy. To be able to go and serve one another. And then this whole Christian thing, it's not a job anymore. It's a joke. Right? It's not a job when I have to... Or it's not a job when, when I try to not cause other people to sin. It's a joy to lead, either, to lead people instead to Jesus. It's no longer a job to go to a fellow Christian and rebuke them and warn them in love for their sin. Instead, it's a joy to show the heart of God. To lead them to repentance and reconciliation, just like you need daily. It's no longer a job to forgive somebody over and over and over. It's a joy to offer the full and free and bottomless forgiveness that God has shown to you through Jesus. Dear friends, go and serve one another in mercy. As your heavenly Father has had mercy on you, go and, and serve each other in grace. As the grace of that son has been so abundantly poured out on you, go and serve each other in compassion. As the Holy Spirit continues to have compassion on you in word and sacrament. This isn't something we have to do. By God's grace, this is something we, we get to do. This is not a job we have to perform. It's a joy as we get to go and live and serve one another with Jesus living in us. Amen.